0: Welcome to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, rate, review, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. You can always find us with fresh content every Thursday and hear us on sportsnet 590 the fan as well and we're going to to get rolling right into it as we are pleased to bring into the conversation he's joined us many times in the past before senior writer for nba.com he's been covering the league for a long time and i say that with the utmost respect steve ashburner steve thanks for the time as always uh
1: thanks for having me always good to talk with you guys uh,
2: respect ash we're, some hey. of us are, are of a certain vintage so that's 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 kind of how it works eric's learning that as he's He's not quite of our vintage, but he's, he's been he's – been, uh, I'm looking for – I'm history. getting there. He's, yeah, he's been in the barrel a long oh, yeah. time too, Ash. He's been in the barrel yeah, a long I time.
1: Mean, <laughs> a, there, is a, there is a sort of a, an element of pride to um, knowing that we've seen – I'll speak for myself, but I've seen things in the NBA for a perspective and context um, uh, situation that a lot of fans weren't even born yeah. yet for. So, you know, it's like, well, I I can attest to this. You know, you can look it up or not look it up as you choose. But, you know, I was in the building. So, yeah, there's something to be said for that.
2: Hey, Ash, Eric and I called Kobe's 81-point game. uh, And Eric actually, we don't collect a lot of stuff, but Eric, uh, we actually arranged for Eric to have his score sheet signed. I, I couldn't find mine thanks to a basement rental and some guy went after me the other day about some guy went after me the other day about uh big strong players cuz i said you know a guy like Ananobi gets officiated unfairly at times just because he's bigger and stronger and the guy said oh you're biased i said no i said the same thing when i saw wilt and shack play so it's it's uh you know it it it, it comes naturally right it comes naturally so <laughs>
1: there you go yep
0: Hey, Steve, you know what? Just On on that wavelength for a second here, I'm just going to go off the beaten path here and not, not talk about anything current day for a second. I, I've actually talked to my son about this in, in recent months and years. <laughs> not like we haven't had a lot to talk about the last two and a half years with everybody under the same roof through the pandemic and everything else. But you kind of brought it up being of a certain vintage to be able to see a lot of things and see a lot of players come and go. Like, I know I often will say, you know, and this crosses all sports, like, to have been lucky enough as a fan to be in the stands to watch or to be lucky enough to be a professional covering, to be able to see Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Steve Iveserman, you know, uh, uh, Mario, oh, I said Mario Lemieux, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Joe Montana, you know, the list goes on across all sports. As a fan, if you can step back a little bit, I know you've been a pro for a long time, but as a fan, do you still get those sort of, Pinch me, type moments, whether it be certain situations, certain games, certain individuals, where the kid in you still comes out, or you are still awed, or or sort of taken out of your seat by certain moments or certain players.
1: No, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I think I should get out of this if if I'm that um, callous to you know the, the the subject matter that I'm I'm around and writing about. I mean, you know, if if you can't get excited about certain things now. I'm, I'm, it's different than it used to be. I mean, when you're a fan, when you're a kid growing up, I mean, the guy I was who, who said, hey, I'd like to be around this stuff um, and get paid for it uh, and figured out a way to have that happen. I mean, that that's one level of it. I mean, at this stage, you know, it's it's probably um, fewer and farther between, but you still have to be able to have those moments. I mean, I, I recall um, being six of the uh, the Bucks championship, you know, uh, just uh, – Couple of years ago, where I was in the in the media box in in Milwaukee, and you know they they win that game. Giannis has a game for the ages. Um, I had gone to college and worked in Milwaukee early in my career. I covered you know Don Nelson Bucks teams. Um, you know I wasn't around for their first championship, but not that long after. And uh, you know, and that that sort of uh, you know fifty year later for them. Moment in their franchise history. I mean, I, yeah, I was I was glad to be there. That was a that was a special moment, and um, you know, you, you get those type of things. And some of the greats of the game, you know, uh, you know, to this day, um, you know, you still get a kick out of you know interviewing them or, or witnessing a feat. And uh, frankly, the, the sport I've covered least has been the NHL, and so that's enabled me to sort of. More of a fan that way of that sport than the ones where I had to cover and I saw you know behind the curtain and and some of the senior things. Um, so you know I grew up a Blackhawks fan in Chicago and uh, it's it's tough right now, but um, you know I mostly have remained a Blackhawks fan.
2: Uh, uh, Steve, it's Steve, that's interesting because I you know I was watching a a documentary on on uh, on on the last. <laughs> the last slave ship that that was burned in, uh, you know, the Gulf of Mexico near, near Mobile, Alabama. And uh, there was a guy being interviewed and I was sitting there with two people much younger than me and the guy was wearing a New York Mets hat. And he said, my claim to fame is I played for these guys when we won the World Series. And I looked and I said, that's my dude. And they said, what? I said, He's got my name, Cleon Jones. He played left field for the Mets. Ah. He caught the last out of the World Series. And yep. then in the next soundbite he said, Well, I wear the hat to remind people I caught the last out in the World Series. I mean, like, like we're 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 in an era now, like Eric says, where we're fortunate enough, like and I I'll, I'll go to other sports which I'm a fan of when you think about a Tom Brady, um, you know, and and reflecting on, you know, Joe Montana, the argument comes up or uh, Eric knows uh, the thing that I love to do best now for exercise is walk a golf course. When you think about Tiger Woods and I saw Jack Nicholas play, I saw Tom Watson play. And and how, what kind of perspective does that give you, Ash, when you're doing your writing? Or as you said, you were in the stands for the in the building for the Milwaukee win. What kind of perspective does that give you? Because I know what it does for me. And it just it, it kind of keeps me young and keeps that fandom alive in me.
1: Well, I agree with you, Paul. I mean, you know, I, I uh, you know, I interviewed Jack Nicholas. I interviewed Gordy Howe early in my career. Um, I interviewed Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, you, you stack up some of these names, and, and you know, I, I look at that and I'm like, you know, geez. I mean, did I even realize the uh, <laughs> the magnitude of what I was doing at the time? You know, I'd like another crack at that. Um, you know, I interviewed Ted Williams. You know, wow. he was he was long done playing, but nonetheless. You know, in his hotel suite in Milwaukee, the guy gets so excited, you know, in his 60s about about uh, batting that uh, he stood up and he's demonstrating, you know, batting stances, you know, when I'm sitting there watching this and talking to the guy. So it gives great context. I mean, you know, I have to admit I get frustrated with what seems to be a um, a too pervasive attitude of uh it only matters, you know, what what has occurred since I was born, Whoever the person, right. you know, that's saying I was born, or in the case of something like ESPN, you know, well, since 1979, which when they were born, you know, this is such and such. And, and it's like, that's why I've become kind of a Wilt Chamberlain um, advocate oh. on Twitter, is because I just feel like a lot of people just, just sort of neglect how great this guy was, and then those who don't um, neglect him or are ignorant of him will try to downplay what he accomplished, only because they can't really get their minds around some of the the numbers he posted and the games that he produced. So, well, he must have been playing against you know plumbers and firemen and right. you know, a bunch of six six uh, you know slow white guys or something, you know. And it's just like no, not true at all. Count the Hall of Fame centers that that existed in Wilterra And you got better big men then than we have right now. So, um, you know, there's that. You know, it's sort of like I want people to appreciate. I don't know why it's so hard to accept the fact that sometimes the best things happen before we are around to enjoy it. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, nothing precludes us from going back and learning about it. I mean, you want to be proud of, you know, contemporary things and, and feel like you're living in an age of great this and that. That's fine. But um i 'm not going to quibble with anybody that was in the rock and roll you know uh at Elvis before I got there, so you know it's just it's sort of the same thing
2: yeah yeah it, it's interesting uh Ash because Eric and I are around Wayne Embry, and you know Eric and I actually we we turned into fans a few years ago in Orlando when he was walking through not that Wayne Embry isn't somebody to behold himself, but he 's walking through the lobby of the hotel with Oscar Robertson, and Eric and I like like a couple of little 12-year-old schoolgirls seeing their first boy band ran up and got a picture with Oscar. And like we kind of looked at each other like, it's okay, right? Yeah, it's okay, right? It was okay, right? And and, and Eric knows I use the qualifier. I always use the qualifier when somebody scores points. I said it doesn't count unless I say those three words since Wilt Chamberlain because I always feel there should be a record book and a Wilt record book. So I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's, it's great. Wayne is great, and mean um, he's a living, breathing connection to the past. And, I mean, that's one thing that the NBA has had going for it for a long, long time. Now, we've seen legends, you know, who've passed, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. But I remember that 50th, the 50 greatest uh, celebration, where of the 50, only one guy. And he went way beyond his, you know, way before his years, Pete Maravich. It was done. You still had George Micken and Bill Russell and and Dolph Shays and you know obviously Wilt and Oscar and all you know, I mean it was there and it's sort of like if you had been a baseball fan back in nineteen ninety seven, yet there was Cy Young and there was Babe Ruth and there was Ty Cobb. I mean it 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 went all the way back to the the beginning to the NBA and, and you know, and still there are a lot of those guys. I mean, we're just now commemorating Bill Russell's passing. Look how long he was on the scene for uh, the nba and it's just uh, to me that context is important i mean you can revel in what goes on today but when you have it against the backdrop of what went on I and mean, how this league was built and how the game has evolved i mean to me it just it gives it even more depth i think it's a good thing i you know i took one time the greatest compliment maybe i ever got as a writer was early in my career an old crusty editor in milwaukee said you know You write your best stuff about the things that happened before you were born. And I'm like, I like that. I mean, you know, I don't feel like I'm I'm stuck in time or anything. I just just like the ability to embrace that it didn't just happen when I showed up.
0: Speaking with Steve Ashburner, senior writer for NBA.com. Steve, this conversation thus far might be a perfect way for me to segue into current day talking about one of the all-time greats. And I'm not going to sit here and ask you number one, number three, number five, top ten, wherever, but he's one of the all-time greats. And one of our colleagues uh, earlier today on Bleacher Report, uh, Chris Haynes, wrote a piece where he, you know, in the first couple of paragraphs even, was talking about Rob Palinka and the quote that he gave running the show, running the ship in Los Angeles, being the caretaker for LeBron's legacy. Speaking of LeBron James then, Steve, What do you think the Lakers do? They have more than stumbled out of the gate. They are already burying themselves only three weeks into the season. There's still plenty of time to potentially turn things around, but it's certainly not looking great now. And when you talk about being the caretaker for LeBron, knowing this guy just signed an almost $100 million two-year extension just this past summer, how do you think the Lakers handle all this?
1: well you know it's I don't know that they feel the proper amount of pressure perhaps um, you know Rob Palinka just got a contract extension and I'm not sure really what that was based on um, you know there's there's no reason to commit to him as part of your future if you're trying to hold people's feet to the fire on and, and, and make them uh, win every possible game certainly reach every you know playoff potential that they can Um you know, we, we this is this is some almost unseemly churning going on at the, uh, the late stage of LeBron's career. Now, you could say maybe that him winning another title or more, um, you know, might not rank highest overall. I mean, it may be a matter of, you know, the Kareem record at this stage. It might then be uh, his possibility of playing uh, with his son on the same NBA roster. Um, and then maybe another ring and beyond, you know, would, would, would slot in somewhere after that. I mean, I, I just think realistically it's going to be difficult. I, I, I continue to pinch myself with the idea that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook would be this bad. Um, you know, no matter who's around them. I mean, you used to maybe think that those guys and a couple of plumbers or firemen could, could <laughs> go win pretty well in this league. Um, but that they would be sitting at, you know, two and nine earlier today. I was, I was just off top of my head. I was thinking, okay, if they go, what would it be, forty and thirty-one, just to finish above five hundred? I mean, that's starting. It's starting to look like a tall order for a team starting as poorly as they have. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I can't fully uh, answer this um, with the degree of perspective or history that you want because I don't think. I think I'm pretty set in my, in my ranking of players. I mean, I think O'Bahn is a, you know, top five, arguably top three player. Um, He would be a starter on my all time starting five. Um, But I still think in one order or another, I'm I'm a Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain guy. So, um, you know, he, he can angle as much as he wants. I think, I think he's always had one eye on his legacy, which undercuts the whole thing a little bit for me. Yeah. I think those yeah. other guys were far more original, and they blazed trails, and he has followed in trails. And, um, uh, you know, to me that's a little bit um, easier and, 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 you know, less um, compelling. And, you know, that, that's sort of how I felt about Kobe. As great a scorer as he was, I mean, he – he was a blueprint. He was a he, excuse me. He was a carbon copy of Michael Jordan, more or less. I mean, up to the way he, he walked on the court. Never mind when he was actually playing. And so, it's sort of like eh, I give ex- I give bonus points to the originals. And and that's kind of how I feel with uh, LeBron. Great as he look, tremendous talent. Um, the kind of player we've never seen before. That's all fine. Um, not a fan of his when he's off the court. And um, I just think that that he's been a little too focused on. By God, I'm going to be the greatest player ever, and you're going to need to acknowledge that. And it's like, nope, nope, I don't have to. Sorry.
2: Yeah, uh, Ash, I, I, and I want to get your historical perspective. I got a two-parter for you here. I know we're 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 we got you on the line for a while here, but I, I want to give you a two-parter here uh, because I was at an event uh, a couple weeks ago where Kareem, the advocate. The social advocate was, you know, talked about the Cleveland meeting where he first met Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and 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 Bill Russell and all of these people. And and I would argue, uh, I mean, LeBron's going to pass Kareem. And at the event, they showed Kareem's one solitary lone three pointer that he made in his career. And I just think <laughs> you know you can't compare across eras, but he made he made he made a whole bunch more buckets because he's shooting twos and not threes. And then uh, so I want you to kind of put the the scoring perspective, uh, historicals perspective on things. And then for me, you know, just to tag your point, the two greatest basketball careers in history might be Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The way they won, uh, you know, Kareem won at high school. He won at college, bo- boycotted the Olympics, won, you know, a mitt full of MVPs. You know, a mitt full of, of NBA championships. Add that to Bill Russell, two mitts full. And he also has the Olympic gold medal that Kareem didn't. So to me, those might be the two be- greatest basketball careers I have ever seen. But I just want your take on the co- scoring perspective with LeBron closing in on that.
1: Well, I mean, I, I was a I was a youth but I did see Kareem play when he was an NBA rookie. When he got to Milwaukee in 69-70, I was a Chicago Bulls fan. And this was the you know, the pre-Jordan good Bulls team of Bob Love, Chet Walker, Jer- you know Jerry Sloan. Um, Norm Van Leer. Soon, soon Norm Van Leer. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was there yet in 69-70. Um, Dick Mata coaching. And when they played, it was probably a Saturday, Saturday afternoon game they played against Milwaukee. Saw it on television And I saw, you know, Kareem with that skyhook. And I distinctly remember to this day that thinking, no one's ever going to beat this guy. I mean, how do you stop him? How do you stop that shot? He can score uh, seemingly whenever he chooses to put that shot up. And, and I was pretty forlorn, um, you know, as, as he got, you know, uh, made a bigger and bigger presence in the NBA, it was just uh, this notion that we haven't seen, I hadn't seen anybody like him. By the time I was paying attention to Wilt, you know, he had shifted into his defense and passing mode um, with the Lakers. So, you know, just seeing Kareem that dominant, that big, and, you know, the Bulls' Achilles heel back then was always at center. They had, you know, a proud blue-collar journeyman in Tom Borwinkel, but, you know, no way Uh, he's he's sniffing Springfield without a ticket. So it was, um, yeah, Kareem at the beginning, um, you know, Kareem in Milwaukee. um, I I was in college, his final season in Milwaukee, and saw him play with the the guys on my dorm floor. And it was a mediocre season. He wasn't happy. He wanted out. We didn't realize that the, the machine was already working to get him traded. Wayne Embry uh, did such a good job of doing that behind the scenes that he played almost his final whole season with, with that trade demand on the table. And people only really learned of it after the trade was executed at the end um, to, to the Lakers. Then he goes to the Lakers, and he, he misses the playoffs. I mean, you know, they, they were not good in his early years, and that was the prime of his career. And uh, then Magic Johnson came there and, and was basically jumper cables on, uh, on Kareem. And, and, you know, what they went on and did during the Showtime era was, uh, you know, tremendous. So, oh, no, great, great, great player. I mean, you could make a case, Kareem, you know, greatest player of all time. Um, certainly lo- the longevity, the, the productivity. Um, I agree with you on, on the Bill Russell thing. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that that, that assemblage of talent under Red Auerbach had as much to do with anything but bill, bill russell being the consummate leader and winner certainly um but yeah you know kareem was great I, it's too bad kareem you know in some ways became a guy where he learned to say hello when it was time to say goodbye he was always very churlish not not very cooperative with the media uh, a dear friend who, under whom i learned in milwaukee an older columnist he was the beat guy for those milwaukee uh, kareem uh, Bucks teams, and I said, "What was I like covering Kareem?" And he said, "I interviewed his back for six years." Um, so you know, just that kind of stuff that that sticks. And I know Kareem became much more accessible and and even friendly only at the end and in his post uh, playing days. But um, certainly, he's he's gotten his due, and and he's taken his place among you know uh, writers uh, in in terms of you know sports and society and things like that. So um it'll be a, it'll be a chance when LeBron you know reaches that that uh, pinnacle that people will appreciate Kareem all over again, so that part's good
0: Steve we could probably do well, not probably I know we could do the entire hour with you in fact, we could probably do the next three shows with you as well, so we appreciate your time and your insight and uh your knowledge as always Thanks for this
1: well guys, thanks for asking me about this because you know what it's that sweet spot you know stuff that i'm old enough to have remembered. But not so old that I've
2: already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> same boat, man, same boat. <laughs> there
1: you
0: go. Thanks, Steve. That was senior writer from NBA.com, Steve Ashburner. When we continue on Smith & Jones, we will hear from former NBA and Houston Rockets analyst Ryan Hollins and also we'll have a conversation with our colleague from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, Michael Grange. That's all coming up next on Smith & Jones. back to smith and jones eric smith paul jones with you again reminder to subscribe to and download smith and jones wherever you get your podcast google spotify apple or otherwise make sure you hit that subscribe button and rate and review as well fresh content every thursday on your podcast platform and right here on sportsnet 590 the fan and joining us on the line right now our colleague our friend from sportsnet sportsnet sportsnet.ca uh michael grange michael appreciate the time as always Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, Michael, before we get to some Raptor stuff, and there is news in Raptor land that we have to uh, to get to that's going to impact the team, I would assume, for the next couple of weeks at least, and I'm not referring to Pascal Siakam. We call it a tease. We'll get that in a second. It's very interesting, and I know we've discussed this before, but it's something that I think continues to be a very interesting um, topic of discussion uh, for Canada, for a lot of other countries too, but especially from the Canadian team. How many guys have played for this program, have represented the national team over the last year or so in this process in leading up to the World Cup? And how many guys have their their sort of fingers in the pie that won't be a part of it when the dust ultimately settles? And that really says something about the individual person, let alone player, with so many people that have worn worn, the red and white.
3: Oh, absolutely. I don't have a... Firm number for you but it's got to be around 25 to 30 um, and it's part of what candidate of basketball is called the winter core and they've been fairly uh you know upfront about that when they it kind of went to this strategy where they said look i mean this is the reality of the the qualifying system where um you know there's all these windows sort of like well not sort of very much like soccer throughout the year and and some leagues the nba being one of them and uh, the EuroLeague teams being the others. And I think the championship, the second level in Europe, too, they don't release their players in these in-season windows. And so uh, the only way to field the team is you got to cast the net far and wide. And, you know, then by definition, when it comes to the World Cup or hopefully the Olympics, you know, you only have a 12-man roster. So you do the math, right? Not everyone's going to be part of it. And, and for that reason, and I remember having a conversation about this with Corey Joseph and just how gracious and grateful he was about guys who were, you know, kind of going through this process. This was in the qualifying for the 2019 World Cup. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the same names you see, you know, you see Melvin Edge in there, you see Tom Phil and Tommy Scrub there, you see Cash Robertson there. Um, I think there's only a handful of guys who've played in all eight games so far. And I think I've named most of them. Uh, the, the Scrubs and the uh, Cash Robinson, I think, at the top. Uh, Trey Bell Haynes is another one. Um, you know, and they do it at considerable sacrifice, right? Like, I mean, they're they're flying uh, from Europe to Toronto, now to Edmonton. They're here for a short time, and they're in the middle of the season. And they, you know, they make the, the reverse track, and. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's really something that needs to be recognized, celebrated, um, and, and you know. And I I know people within Canada Basketball feel that way. I know the players and people McNurse, everyone attached to the program feels that way. But you know, I hope that there is an, a moment and a way that these guys can really be recognized because uh, you know they're they're doing a lot of heavy lifting.
2: Yeah, Michael, and I can say as a board member, it's it is appreciated and. I mean, it's akin to laying the foundation of the house. And, you know, you walk in and there's a beautiful house and nicely decorated and nobody says, so uh, what went into pouring the concrete for the foundation, right? Nobody, nobody looks at it. But um, speaking of the fancy rooms and the nice furniture, um, you know, your thoughts. And I know it's something that was talked about within the structure of Canada basketball on the whole getting a commitment thing, because we're partway through that process now. And even though guys can't be there, you know, Kelly Olenek, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Nikhil Alexander Walker, these like these guys can't be there because of their NBA commitments. We know they're committed going forward. And 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 I think back to the the the, the bitter taste in everybody's mouth after losing to the Czech Republic in Victoria. And and akin to two thousand and four when the USA lost uh, its gold, first gold medal you know attempt with NBA players. And Jerry Colangelo said, that's it. We're not just rolling out here with all-stars or people who want to play that summer. You need to make a commitment. E- evaluate what you think now, although it might be hard because none of the guys you know are involved because they're with their NBA teams. But how important was that moving forward, knowing there's a World Cup next year, there's an the Olympics the year after, and we want to know which guys have put their hand up and said, we're, we are in regardless.
3: Yeah, I think it, it was it was the right strategy. Um, there's just too many players, uh, as you guys know, and, and we're up over 20-something players in the NBA right now. And so um, not to mention the really high-quality players at the high levels in Europe. So you needed to, to – you were in a position where you could ask and say, look, um, there's more people than – there's more applicants than jobs. Um, so – if you're not in, tell us because, uh, you know, there's other people who, who we can move on to and, and, uh, and in doing that, we can, you know, focus on not only just getting an all-star team, but getting a real team. And, and maybe you don't have every single NBA player or every single roster spot filled by NBA players, but you have um, guys who can fill different roles at different moments. And, and um, you know, you have the Kevin Pangoses and, and Malvin who, you know, who bring that EuroLeague experience and the rest of it. So, um, so I think it's the right idea. I think we saw the outlines of the success this past summer. Uh, we still didn't see you know a team that was fully the summer core because we had there were some injuries, there were some contracts, all to the to usual rigmarole. But even saying that, um, you know, Jamal Murray was was at training camp um, at various times, and and R.J. Barrett was in was in town with the team. Lou Dort was there. Um, so guys who couldn't play for one reason or another, they were part of it. They were in the meetings. They were, you know, playing cards with the guys. They were. There was a little bit of camaraderie building, and also I think you know that shared knowledge growing. And so you know we'll see next summer what the, the shape looks like. But I think it's uh, as long as Canada's in a position of strength in terms of more elite players than there are spots available at these world class events then uh, they're going to be in a strong position to, to use this strategy going forward.
0: Speaking with Michael Grange from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, Michael, I, I know well. I know Jonesy and I have as well talked about this off the air. I believe we've talked about it on the air as well, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up again. As great as everything is that you were just talking about, as great as it is for the Canadian program and for other programs to have more people involved, to get them that type of experience uh, on the international stage and, and at major tournaments and and to have this brotherhood, uh, this fraternity of, of players uh, that are all involved and in trying to pull towards the end goal. It's all great. It's all fine and good. That said, I still go back to you and I standing in Mexico City back in 2015 and listening to Michelle O'Keefe, then with Canada Basketball, make the announcement on behalf of being a part of the board, I believe with FIBA as well, the the plan for what this was going to be, what we are now talking about, what we are now in the midst of. And I remember shaking my head then at being, A, confused at the whole process, but also, B, When I'm thinking about the growth of the game, and I admit maybe I'm just guilty of looking at the North American angle at the NBA quote-unquote stars from Canada and the U.S., and I think if I'm FIBA and I'm trying to grow the game and I'm trying to put the spotlight on the best of the best, don't I want the best of the best playing in my qualifiers and in my major tournaments and not having... 25, 30, 40 different players representing a country through all these crazy windows and whatnot. No, don't I want to have the best of the best each and every time as much as possible?
3: Ideally, I think you would. Um, and, you, you know, I guess from FIBA's point of view, maybe they do see a long term future where, you know, the, the FIBA Basketball World Cup gets to the level in the consciousness that the World Cup of soccer is, and all of a sudden leagues do shut down, and there are, um, you know, these windows where the best in the, of the world can can play in these events, in these in these windows over the, over a number of years. I mean, these qualifying on ramps are about eighteen months, I think, um, but that's a long way away. And you're right, and and I guess Eric, I mean, I'm kind of on one level, I, you know, it seems silly to me that that all this time, effort, expense. I mean, you know, you, we talk about funding in can, in Canada basketball things like that. Well, how would you feel to be the federation of Venezuela or Dominican or you know some of these other um, you know federations, which clearly aren't as well funded and don't have the resources to be as well funded, and they're the ones who have to you know put players on a plane and fly them up to Edmonton and and the rest of it for you know and it it, it doesn't always make sense from that point of view. I think it's for in you know in Europe which is where FIFA is based, it's a lot easier to pluck a few players who are playing in nine different leagues in Europe and put them on planes or buses and get them to play qualifying games you know a, a small short flight away it's a it's, it just doesn't really work that well for North America or even uh, probably in Asia as well. Um, you, you know so so I think I guess from FIBA's point of view they got to look long term and maybe plan for a bigger future. And I'd also say, Eric, that, that, you know, the idea that you were going to get these meaningful tournaments with top talent, every, which would turn out to be every summer, because you'd have an Olympic, a world cup qualifying summer, then a world cup and an Olympic qualifying summer, and then an Olympics. So I think that would be a tough sell too. So I think there's, it's just the reality is, is until, uh, you know, you're in a situation where the NBA and the, you know the top European leagues are releasing their players for the windows. Um, you're always just going to be in this situation,
2: uh, Michael. I, I, we, we've taken a lot of your time, but I I would be remiss if I did not at least touch on um, recent news and then uh, project. You know, you know down the line, um, extrapolate down the line with the Raptors. Boy, there's one thing that can derail you in a hurry, and that's injuries. And when I look at uh, the news about Precious Achua, and you already have Pascal out, uh, how how much is this team's depth going to be tested over the next little while? Um, you know, it was, it, it, it's good that they have it, but some of these guys are really, you know, be careful what you wish for. You wanted more playing time. You wanted to play. Okay, you're going to get it right now, and you, you better come through because the team needs that.
3: Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the good news is, you know, the Raptors made a point of being a deeper team in the off season, And so, um, you know, they brought back Thad Young. And, you know, Eric and I were talking about this after the game last night. I mean, I don't know if you have a better game and not score a point than Thad Young did uh, the other night. So he's going to soak up a lot more minutes. Uh, Christian Coloco, <laughs> he's going to get more and more chances to learn on the job. Yeah, so there's a number of players who are going to get an opportunity. And if you're Justin Champagny, um, you want to get your back ready soon because this is the moment you've been waiting for to try and, you know, you you could get a couple of cracks at it and show your worth. So um, it's not a perfect situation. I mean, uh, you know, I think Precious Achiu is pre- projected to be, if not, the Raptors' sixth man. Certainly, you know, he's shown to be in their seventh man. He's their second-leading scorer out of the bench, their second-leading rebounder, and he hasn't even been playing all that well. So, you know, we've seen what he can do when he is locked in and ready. They're not going to have that option. And so it's going to fall to some other guys uh, to step up. And you hope, you know, maybe Kim Birch's knee can come around. Um, that would help too. But, um, you know, I think, I think these injuries are inevitable. And, and so this is, this is the way the Raptors were designed. Is, is, is There's more bodies than, than minutes available. And for this moment in time... Uh, the balance is a little bit more in balance and some guys are going to have to step up.
0: Michael, appreciate the time. As always, all the best. Thanks, Michael. Always good chatting with our colleague, Michael Grange from Sportsnet. And before the show closes out, I wanted to give you a chance to hear at least a portion of this interview. Uh, I had a chance to chat with Ryan Hollins earlier in the week as the Raptors We're getting set to face the Houston Rockets. We played this interview on our pregame show of that broadcast, but in case you missed it, here's just a portion of the conversation where, Jonesy, I thought it was really good, especially when Hollins was talking about the young players and just adapting to life as a player, let alone, uh, you know, and I'm talking about life off the court, let alone on it as well. Lots to get into with Ryan Hollins. This is kind of a, at least in my eyes, a classic example. Not that there aren't a couple of vets, obviously Eric Gordon comes to mind, but It's a young team in general, and we often will have the conversation, I'm sure you've heard over the years as well, is it better as a young player to come into a young team, take your lumps with a bunch of young guys together, have that opportunity to grow, or you look at the flip side, a guy like Scotty Barnes has a chance to join a pretty good team in Toronto, made the playoffs last year, and now he's a part of a core right now, and you have a chance to learn around some vets, but it also may be fast tracks that, hey, you don't have time to make these mistakes as much because we don't have as much time to wait for you uh, or, or, or to have as much patience, perhaps, for you to have some of those lumps.
4: Well, for me, the biggest key is to play. Yeah. If that's a veteran team with a guy in your position, that's not good for you because you're not going to yeah. get a chance yeah. or an opportunity to play. Now, in terms of Scotty Barnes, he has very transferable skills. Scotty Barnes has great size. He rebounds. He defends. And he, he wants to get into the flow of the game. So – for a guy like Jalen maybe better to say, hey, go to a team where you can go and score. But for Scotty Barnes, who's not the most dynamic scorer, he's he makes he's a guy who's gonna make more so the correct play right. for him to go to a veteran team and learn how to win right away and get it thrown into the fire would help. You know, and he's such a Scotty's a selfless player. You know, you put the ball in his hands, he wants to make the correct read. So I think each and every individual player is it is different and unique in their own ways, but I would say the biggest part is are you going to get in and play? And I think both situations for Scotty, for Jalen, are literally ideal because we need Jalen to score. We want him to score. And for Toronto, you guys are saying, Scotty, go guard the other team's best player. You yeah. know, give us 10 to 15 a night, 15 boards, three steals, you know, fill up the stat sheet, and he fits in and he's an extremely unique player. I think. The only comp, you know, in the league that he may have with his size and frame is maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, he kind of falls into that do-it-all, you know, point-forward, point-center, you know, type, type matchup and kind of do everything on the floor. So that, that's what I see for Scotty. But both players extremely good players and very, very very unique.
0: You just said on something that Jonesy and I often talk about as well. We were just chatting about it a couple of weeks ago uh, on one of our shows even last week. When you're talking about filling up the stat sheet, and maybe not putting up, and I'm not talking about just Scottie, I'm talking any player in general. Maybe they're giving you 10 or 12 instead of 18 or 20, but they're giving you some rebounding and some assists, and they're playing defense, and they're blocking shots, and they're getting steals. How difficult is that, again, coming from your perspective who's been there as a player, where so many things now in these days, not just in the NBA but in pro sports in general, they're incentive-laden contracts, and they're often contracts that are looked at like, you scored X, you're worth this, or you can negotiate more for that. And a lot of times intangibles don't always show up. And we've got – I'm just using Toronto, let's say, as the example. You've got OGN and Obi saying he wants to be recognized as a premier defender in the league and an all-defensive guy. You've got Scotty Barnes wanting to be a future all-star. Pascal's coming off all-NBA. Fred was an all-star last year. Everybody wants to get theirs, but at the same time, you might be better as a team – if it's not individuals necessarily standing out and just getting theirs, and and then that impacts negotiations and contracts,
4: how do you balance all that as a player? You go and you win. Okay. <laughs> you go and you win, or you get traded and, and you move on. It all take care of itself. Yeah, yeah. It, it, if you win a championship and everybody's averaging ten to fifteen points, who cares? Right. Now, it, as you brought up with uh, OG, you can be all defensive anywhere. You know, you can be selfish. You can be. You can, I always I would tell the young guys that were you can be as selfish as you want in the defensive and the floor. You know, not that you're going to skip an assignment, but go guard the other team's best player. Go give it 100%. Okay, go commit yourself on that side. You know, so when, when I say selfish, not literally just not letting your guy score, mm-hmm. but do everything that you can do in your power. And when you commit yourself to the game, everybody has different roles. You know, right now this team needs what Toronto, per se, needs what Scotty Barnes rings. He defends, he assists, he rebounds, he pushes the floor. He is Mr. Versatility, okay? If he has a mismatch, he's going to go post him up. If he has a big guy, he's going to step out to the perimeter. So for him, that's what's needed, and it is, that's an excellent fit. You know, If OG is saying, Man, I want to score 40 points a game, that might be a conflict. He may need to go to another organization or another team to go do that. So... Um, I, I think when those are the ass and they're realistic realistic, and they're put in the proper perspective, you can go out and win. In contract time, you're always going to reward the guy who scores. Look at Draymond Green. You're going to get 80 million by scoring 10 to 15 points a game, but your team goes out and wins, and they're successful. And, and it's different in every situation. You look at age. You look at, you know, efficiency. You know, you have your per 32 where they can round up and say, hey, man, this guy scored 15 points a game, but if he scores plays 32 minutes, he probably scores right. in his 20s. So there's unique ways that your agents would go uh, around scoring, uh, around, excuse me, about contract, contract time to see what the scoring and the rebound is, how it, uh, how it adds up in age. There's a whole formula they have that figures it out.
0: Let's flip it back over to the Rockets now, specifically. Lots of scoring on this team, lots of offensive weapons. Not that they can't defend necessarily, but what does this team need to do to take that sort of next step? Is it just grow and build because they're so young?
4: Yeah, right now the next step is rebuilding. That's key. Uh, in the immediate future, is getting healthy. You know, Bruno Fernando out is a big – he's playing some really good basketball, and that's depth uh, in the front court. Jayshon Tate is the leader of this basketball team. Missing him is big. Uh, and Jabari's playing. This was the first game back uh, in Orlando, but he's still kind of getting his rhythm on top of being very young and everything, being new to him. Imagine having, a you know, kind of a, an ankle bothering him. So uh, for this group, you want to see everyone healthy for one. You want to continue to develop – and I think you have to play up to your par and standard. So even if it's a losing match, but you played hard, the guys shared the basketball, and they just couldn't make a shot that Mm -hmm. night. Or, hey, on the other side was Giannis Antetokounmpo. We don't have one of those. That is a good night, a positive night uh, for the Rockets, and I think they've been amazing this season. And Unfortunately, you know, may not show uh, in the win-and-loss column right now, but 10 to the first 13 on the road, everyone is a playoff-caliber team. The easiest team was supposed to be Utah, as a matter of fact. The Rockets gave Utah their first loss, so I couldn't be more proud in the way these guy, our young guys are working. But I still think there's, there's things that they can work on and continue to get better at.
0: Outside looking in, you obviously know it a heck of a lot better than I do. It seems like Coach Silas is a perfect fit for this in terms of his mindset, his personality, his temperament, everything he's all about seems like a
4: perfect fit for this team. He is, and our young guys are so glad to have him. So the NBA that I came up in as a young guy, for one, you didn't play because the veterans played. And for two, you were limited. You know, you were asked to, you know, hey, you just grab a rebound. You go to this. Coach Steven Silas lets these guys get out and they get to play and they get up and down. And they're having the chance to make mistakes on the fly where a veteran team or a different coach may say, no, 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 I don't want you doing that. Coach Silas is like, no we need you to handle the basketball. We're going to put you in a pick and roll. We're going to put you on the elbow, and we need you to go and score the ball. You know, these guys are getting chances to do things that they may not do or be able to do on other teams. So there's no excuse playing with Coach Silas, and you got to think how instrumental he is in player development. you got to think, he had a young LeBron, a young Luka, young Steph Curry. He was integral in these guys' success, and we can go on down the line. I'm probably missing two or three other players that he mm-hmm. saw emerge into greatness in his under his tenure. So... Coach Steven Silas, man, he's been at it for a while, but I think what impresses me the most is that he understands our guys' youth and his patience with their development, and he's doing a phenomenal job. You're sort of guilty of
0: being, you know, blinded by just your own backyard and by your own market or whatever. But that's the case, like, we go back to the Vince Carter days here where so many kids that just grew up with that player, that era. And then there were a whole bunch of fans that didn't follow the Raptors for a long time because post-Vince – they were bad for a long time, and yeah. now it's been three quarters, almost a full decade now, Where whether it was DeMar and Kyle and, and going back to that first playoff series against, against Brooklyn when Toronto finally got back into the postseason. Now there are kids growing up now that were 10 that are now 18, and they, all they've ever known is the Raptors being a playoff team. The Raptors winning a championship a few years ago, but they don't remember those lean years that kind of came between Vince when Chris Bosh was slugging it out and Andrea Bargnani yes. and whatever else. They don't know that because this is just the era they've grown up in. Like you're, I'm, I'm assuming these Houston fans, they might not have the same history and cachet I mean, forget about even going back to Hakeem, but even T-Mac or even yeah. Yao. Yes. It, it's 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 different now, right?
4: Yeah, no, you're right. And, and you think about Vince in those early years. You know, a, a lot of Canadian fans they didn't know basketball. It was it was kind of a hockey. It's it's a hockey now. Hockey that, that'd be a while before it gets overtaken. But I've watched this thing grow and grow here in Canada, where you they, there's a love for basketball. The growth is there, and the championship puts you over because you you can only have so many 51 seasons until you, you get that win. And you almost think about, like, like the Lakers. So you're, you're almost looking at Vince Carter like that Jerry West, you know, of the Lakers. And you look at DeMar DeRozan kind of the, you know, the, the, the Kobe Bryant, you know, the – Kobe, Kobe-ish, and, you know, you're looking at this new generation, Pascal and OG, those are kind of the, the LeBrons, you know, of, of Toronto, but, you know, each one has its own legacy here, but that championship, you know, it, it meant something because the Raptors were getting there and getting there and getting there, they're not getting over the edge, but the championship meant so much, and you know, you'd imagine Kawhi, you know, it, the gratitude here in Toronto for, for a lifetime, because, hey, even though he came and he left, he did his job. <laughs> okay. He did it. He did it on one leg, too, not to mention.
0: All right, last thing i got to mention, and you know, i just say this in jest as well to close this thing out. I saw this, I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago, whenever it was, I was looking on Instagram. And I'm telling you, folks, from sitting right next to him, I watched him play for years, Jamario Moon, I can see it. I can see it even more. I can see it even more sitting right next to you. I never thought it until I saw you comment on, on, on one of his posts recently. There There is an uncanny look here, man, I'm telling it you, is. Ryan.
4: It is. So... I actually played in Cleveland with Jamario, yep. and we didn't want to acknowledge it. And um, our daughters were at the same daycare. And I went in to get my daughter. You know, one of the deals to sign out. And his daughter goes, she bursts into tears. Daddy, why are you leaving me? <laughs> Sugar, I'm not your daddy. Okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 Uncle Ryan. Okay, she is in tears, bawling. And at that point, I say, Jamario, we can no longer deny this. Your daughter's in full-on tears, thinking that I'm you because of the singularity. <laughs> so, uh, it, was, it was fun stuff there. But that—that's my guy, man. What a great guys. But we try to deny it for a very long time, and it's just to the point that, you know, we can't even deny it anymore. We 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 are the, we got we had the same look. We're cousins, brothers, whatever it may be.
0: Appreciate it, man. Thanks. All for right, this. brother. Anytime. Right. Thanks, Ryan. That was former nba and Houston Rockets analyst Ryan Hollins. Really interesting talking about life on and off the floor for a young player, but also the impact, Jonesy, that especially for young guys, but even established players, that statistics can have on contracts. And this goes back to what we talked about even on last week's edition of Smith & Jones in terms of the playing for the, the Wii or playing for the me and how tough that can be sometimes to balance both when you're trying to look after yourself financially, but also look after your career and look after championships and how those things all meld in the pot together.
2: Yeah. You know, Eric, for me, and I think I'm uh, probably swimming upstream as a dissenter with this. I would, lo- I would love to see kids go to school for a year or two, or if they're not, um, you know, academically inclined, or or that's not a good environment for them, or they don't see it as productive. I, I like what's happening with the, you know, like the G League Ignite and things like that. So uh, there's a chance to learn a little bit about life. Uh, heck, basketball is hard enough. And now you give, you know, young guys that much money and that much time. I mean, not everybody's LeBron or Kobe or or, or guys that can do it that way. And I'm with you. I mean, it's something we've talked about, you know, it's on my laundry list of things for the competition committee around statistics uh, to, you know, to kind of help guys and and promote the game and make it better because, you know, as as well as people play, the empirical, the quantitative things that they can point to are numbers. And that's where, you know, as, as you know, Ryan talks about, that's where, you know, the stats, you know, become king in a sense.
0: Again, folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review, and check back every Thursday for fresh content, as well for our producer and editor, J.R. Manitat For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.